0: Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML, a third Canadian has been detained in China. What do we know? Uh, what is going on? Not a high-profile person as uh, the first two were. To talk more about all of this, Ben Roswell is with us, President Canadian International. I'm uh, sorry, uh, Canadian International Council, and with us now, Ben. Thanks for the time, much appreciated.
1: Yeah, it's a pleasure to be on the show.
0: So uh, we we certainly know about the first two that were uh, detained after uh, the arrest of the CFO of Huawei back in in December, early December. Uh, what do we know about this third situation? Do we do we know an identity?
1: No, we don't know an identity yet. The government of Canada appears to know uh, the identity, but because of the Privacy Act, uh, is obliged not to to share that uh, with us. They're following the rules as the Canadian government has done throughout this entire. Uh, process. <laughs> the uh, fact that they seem to know the identity suggests that they uh, should be able to provide the consular services to this detainee. Under international law, the Chinese government is obliged to allow the uh, embassy, in this case the embassy in Beijing, uh, to visit the detainee in prison. Uh, the Chinese government did that for Michael Kovrig and Michael Spavor, uh, and that's what we should be looking for at the next step at this stage, that the Chinese embassy is allowing someone from our, uh, sorry, the Chinese government is allowing someone from the Canadian embassy. Uh,
0: do we do we have any reasoning for the detainment? Has the person been charged?
1: No. Now, of course, there's quite a lot of Canadian citizens in China, and Canadian citizens, like all people around the world, occasionally do commit actual crimes. Uh, so I suppose we can't completely rule out that there may have been, uh, there may have been some other situation that's unrelated to the detention of Spavor and Kovrig or to the Huawei um, executive who was detained in Vancouver. Um, It is important not to rush to judgment. Um, I think the most important thing is to really ensure, because the the Canadian government ensure that they get access to this Canadian citizen and press the Chinese government for the application of due process.
0: Uh, Is it common for Canadians to be detained in China this way?
1: It's certainly not common for there to be three high-profile detentions in a row. How can
0: um, how can we not, and of course we can't assume, but if you were a betting man, just like the first two, we weren't supposed to assume that those were involved either. Is there any reason not to believe that these are all related?
1: So the Chinese government itself has not stated a linkage, but uh, there's some pretty useful evidence to know that they are probably linking at least the first two detentions. The first is their organ, the sort of party organ called the People's Daily, the official newspaper of the Communist Party has made that linkage. Uh, And the second is that the Chinese ambassador in Canada wrote a Globe and Mail editorial where he seemed to link the uh, link the two. So um, we don't know anything about the third detention, uh, but there's certainly enough evidence there uh, to, to, to suspect that China is somehow trying to apply pressure uh, on Canada in a way that's, Totally inconsistent with international law, totally disrespectful of the bilateral relationship uh, with Canada, and also incredibly self-defeating for China, because if it's seen as a country where perfectly innocent people might be thrown in jail because Beijing's got some dispute with whatever their capital is over whatever issue, they're going to see a dramatic drop, and they already have seen a dramatic drop in the number of people that want to travel to China.
0: Uh, we understand that uh, this person is not a diplomat or or business person the way the other two were. Is there What do we know about the difference between the first two and this one?
1: Well, we don't have enough information at all about the, the third person. I mean, the reason it's news is that uh, I think as a nation, we're all concerned about this. Sure, there's China. a Canadian I'm being. Did... That they don't want to be the ante. So we don't have any evidence that they are out the ante, but if it is, it's something that we need to... Uh, we need to focus on as a country. I guess that what I'd say though is um, China is really digging itself into a massive hole by detaining Canadians, just with the two they already have. If this is a linkage, a linked issue, they're just digging that hole even deeper. And eventually China is going to see that its cost, the cost of detaining innocent Canadians is far higher than any benefit. First of all, they can't actually pressure us to change the way that we run our courts in Canada to uh, to end this extradition process with Meng Wanzhou, there's a, a Huawei executive, like there's a process that, you know, the, even the Prime Minister of Canada just doesn't have that much influence over it. So it's kind of a pointless pressure tactic, and it's so damaging to the international reputation of China uh, that I think once tempers, uh, temperatures drop and cooler heads prevail... That we're going to see some kind of progress. Uh, I don't
0: know. I, I I don't know, Ben. People were saying that after the first one. Now we're up to three. So is should every Canadian be concerned? That's in China right now. I mean, this is a this is like a China scoop. What, what, what should every Canadian, whether you're a diplomat, this that or the other? And I guess again, we don't know. Well,
1: should, would you be concerned? This is uh, the Canadian embassy, which is uh, every Canadian embassy around the world issues advice that you can see on the website so just google you know Canadian embassy Beijing travel advice and you'll get to the page of the of the Canadian embassy uh that the advice that goes there is always extremely current and it's always based on the best judgment of the Canadian government officials both in China and in Canada uh and that's really what people should take as their as their decision about whether they're going to travel to to uh, to China or not what i'd say about the broader sort of strategic issue, if we're looking at this not so much from the perspective of those three Canadians whose rights must be defended and defended ferociously, if for those Canadians that are wondering like where is this going in the broader debate with China, the next um, line to be crossed or the next sign to look for would be some kind of false confession by any of these three. If you see like a a video of Hmm. Uh, One of these three saying that, you know, Canada was wrong and China was right and I apologize and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's a really bad sign because that means that there's probably been some kind of extreme pressure applied on one of those three detainees. We have not seen that yet, um, but I think that would be deliberately seen as an escalation, a further escalation in this dispute. And I really, really hope we don't see that.
0: Ben, for years... um, uh, China has been seen as the golden goose. Everybody's, you know, emerging mar- emerging market. Everybody's got to get in there. Business in China, blah blah blah. As you said earlier, um, what does this do for not only the PR of China and, and sorry, but the the PR of China, but even Huawei and 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 their expansion into into the Western world. Um, y- y- at the end of the day, uh, this started with the arrest of. Of, uh, of a C- CFO, does this keep happening until that CFO is released? There certainly has been an
1: absolutely incredible 30-year run of the Chinese economy and the Chinese society being open to the world, and that has delivered unbelievable benefits to China. It's been one of the great success stories in human history to see how China has flourished by being open to the world and by embracing a world-based international order. I think it's too soon to say that that might be ending, but China benefits from being able to trade with other countries. They benefit from being, people traveling to China uh, to exchange, uh, to, to to engage in any kind of exchange with them, and that's where China's fundamental interest lies. If they want to have the future years look like the past 30s, they've got to they've got to maintain that openness. Now, there's some threats to the openness, and frankly, tariffs from the United States, extremely heavy, punishing tariffs from the United States are a threat to that kind of openness. Um, and so it's not all on China. Every country that does benefit uh, from our mutual connections uh, needs to maintain their commitment to the rules-based international uh, order uh, and uh, drop punitive, pointless uh, tariffs. Uh, I can understand why the Chinese are, uh, are upset uh, about those tariffs. And I believe that Well, Canada's a victim of those tariffs as well. So, you know, there could be potentially some common cause between China and Canada as we're both being treated unfairly by the United States. But um, starting to arrest our nationals makes it very difficult for us to kind of explore where that that common cause could be. So all of the countries just need to take a deep breath Step back. Remember that we benefit far more from being connected to each other than being in disputes with each other, and make the appropriate decision.
0: Ben Rosewell is with us, President Canadian International Council. Ben, why are they? Why is China bullying Canada and not the United States? They initiated all of this.
1: Well, uh, the uh, that's really a question for the for the Chinese. Uh, anything that I would say would be just uh, pure speculation. What I do know from uh, from China is that they're in a very difficult economic situation right now. Um, they're uh, concerned about their role in the world. They see uh, a sort of natural destiny for China to become more and more of a significant uh, player. Uh, and there's a extremely strong nationalist current uh, that's kind of running through Chinese society right now, all of which seems to make uh, China more sensitive to any imagined slights. Anywhere uh, in the world, it seems to me that might be one of the reasons why you've seen this massive overreaction to the Canadian decision just to execute uh, an extradition request, as we're required to do under our own international law uh, obligations. Um, I don't know if it's bullying behavior uh, or not, but bullies uh, tend to be pretty weak people to begin with, uh, and they choose their targets based on their uh, their weakness. Um, I hope that China's not engaging in bullying behavior because ultimately it would be very self-defeating for, uh, for China itself. The better thing for us to do as Canada uh, is to not to jump to pejorative titles like bully, but just to, to ferociously defend our own citizens and to appeal to the common shared interests that all of our countries have in a rules-based international order and playing by the rules and trading with one another in a mutually respectful way. I think we're eventually going to get there but uh, not while we have uh, citizens in uh, in jail and in, uh, unjustly in China.
0: Obviously, you know, about Huawei's um, uh, infrastructure and how they want to be a part of Western infrastructure, especially with the construction of a 5G network and such. Um, does, this not, does this make Canadians more sensitive to not only the security of Huawei, but how China does business? I mean, how concerned do they have to be with just the bad public relations in all of this?
1: Well, it depends if they believe uh, that we're in the 20th century or the 21st century. In the 21st century, you generate power by banding together with other countries, by trading, by exchanging, by uh, by being open. Uh, that's how you grow the size of your economy, and that's how you increase your security. Um, the 20th century way of looking at security is that it's all about my country and my country has to like get as many, many arms as much as big as a big as uh, military as possible and amass as much national uh wealth as possible and that's the only path to prosperity and security that's a failed strategy uh for the 20th century it's tempting when your country has a lot of military power and uh and a big domestic market to think you could go it alone But history is littered with examples of countries that tried the unilateral approach and became poor and isolated and and terrible places to live.
0: Why do you think China is reacting this way, considering, as you mentioned, those 30 years of solid growth and they've literally seen their country go from one of poor to one of wealth? So why would they they do this? Why would they not try to create a more calmer uh, effect as opposed to, you know every, you know, three, seemingly every week, someone getting yanked off the street.
1: Well, there's a whole lot of things going on in China. Obviously, it's a much, much bigger country than uh, Canada. It's a much bigger uh, country and population. In Are terms. Canadians
0: uh, naive to the relationship? Are Canadians naive? Uh, you know, do we have to do, do what do we learn from so. this? Do What do we learn been, from this?
1: You know, Canada has been integrally involved in the whole story about China opening to the world. We're not and I don't think we're naive at all. we just we've seen the better angels of the Chinese nature and we've worked with them. You know Have we forgotten 19- about
0: have we forgotten about the negative though? Again, thinking about security and this sort of thing. I mean there there's a different objective here.
1: I don't think so. no. I, you know we're one of the uh, most connected countries in the world. we've We've been extremely involved in uh, in defending the international order with arms when when uh, when necessary. Uh, so there's nothing to point to Canada and say, you know, we're, we're naive. We actually, I think, have a pretty good degree of, uh, of, of expertise in China. We have a track record from all the way back to Norman Besson in the 1930s, um, of accompanying China as it opens to the world. You know, in 1962, we were the first Western country to start selling wheat to China. to have a major significant uh, exchange, commercial exchange, at the height of the Cold War, too, when Mao Zedong was in power. Canada took a bet on China, and China reciprocated. And some of the initial steps that China took to open up to international trade in the 1960s and 70s wow. were with Canada. So there's a tremendous history and legacy that we can, uh, that we can rely on. We know China, and we, uh, we appreciate China, and we respect China. Uh, And if they can get over this sort of what seems to be kind of a vindictive tit for tat, we can go back to being that partner for China. Uh,
0: Which is why Canadians are concerned why we are where we are right now. Where do you think
1: this is going, Ben? You know, these judicial processes take a long time. Uh, The extradition process where Meng Wanzhou uh, gets to appeal the decision to extradite the United States and she stays in Vancouver living in a, you know, very luxurious apartment and having having her life in, in Vancouver, that's gonna last for a long time. She's gonna be there throughout the entire winter, probably. How many if more
0: Canadians will be detained, do you think, by then?
1: If if there's any linkage, then unfortunately the, the two that we know about and possibly the third one might be might be there for uh for some time. So it's in uh both countries' interests to, to really start to cool things down uh at this stage for us to Argue as forcefully as we can for those three to be uh, to be treated fairly and for there not to be uh, any further uh, unjust uh, detentions. But I think we're going to be looking at a at a period of of months before we're going to see uh, any of these uh, any of these people going free. And in the meantime, our our embassy is going to be in there every single day arguing for the for the rights of these uh, these Canadians and trying to prevent any any further. Um, and then at the strategic level, I think we've we've just got to. Keep calm and look at the long term and look at our mutual interests and keep reaching out uh, when uh, when possible. Ben Roswell has been with us, President,
0: Canadian International Council. A third Canadian has been detained in China. We're still waiting to hear more information on that person. Ben, thank you for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Thank you very much. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. We've been chatting about a third Canadian has been detained in China. We do not know uh, their identity. Uh, I should have asked Ben this for privacy reasons. I'm not sure what the privacy reasons are. I don't want my kid. I don't want my family to know that I've been captured in China. I'm not sure what the reason is there. Uh, we do know that uh, consular service has been in touch with them, so that's good news. Uh, no relation as as yet. To, uh, of this to the other two and to the uh, arrest of the Huawei CFO uh, back uh, December 1st. However, obviously, uh, it, it, it is suspicious and, and, and should Canadians be, be cautious walking around the streets in, in China, uh, uh, telecom Huawei, telecom giant Huawei, which is at the center of all of this, Um, And, of course, uh, will be involved. Well, I shouldn't say of course now because we don't know, but is scheduled to be involved or trying to be involved in the installation of the new 5G network, which we're all hearing so much about. Uh, The United States says no, we're not interested in that. Canada, uh, I guess the jury is still out on that. Japan concerned, the UK concerned. Uh, Australia already has said no, as has Uh, the U.S. Huawei says that, you know, you you should prove that they're calling on governments to prove that they're not secure. Uh, I don't know. Isn't that how we got to where we are now? Isn't it up to them to prove that they are secure as opposed to other countries uh, proving they're not? What does this do as we move forward with the whole 5G network? Let's bring in Carmi Levy, tech analyst. He is with us now. Carmi, thanks for the time. Much appreciated.
2: Great to be here, Scott. Uh,
0: before we even get to the five G and all this other stuff and where it leaves business, what are your thoughts on a third Canadian being detained?
2: Well, you know, I think China is uh, sending a very clear message with this now third arrest: is that they they mean business. This isn't just some kind of diplomatic dust up that they expect to blow over in a little while. They see this as a a major policy shift. Uh, they are digging in their heels. And they're telling Canada, we're serious about this, and we're not going to back down. Um, and uh, and and that's just the way things are going to be. It's it's. I mean, this is the you know, the ultimate game of brinksmanship when it comes to diplomacy. And unfortunately, uh, you know, individual Canadians, and I say this as someone I've been to China twice for business, um, you know, individual Canadians are getting caught in the crossfire. Uh, you know, whether they deserve to be or not is almost irrelevant. They've got a maple leaf on their passport. Their fair game as far as the Chinese government. Is you,
0: concerned. you talked about China sending a message. What is that message? because on the other hand they're trying to do business here. Uh, Huawei's trying to you know help with the 5G network. Is the message release the CFO or we're going to continue to scoop up Canadians? I mean I know you're a tech analyst and not a politician, but on the other hand where, where, where does where does this leave Canadians wondering?
2: Uh, Well, it starts with release the CFO, but that's only the beginning of it. You know, there's been this push over the last few months. The U.S., Australia, New Zealand have all explicitly banned Huawei from selling its networking technology uh, outside of China. In other words, if you're in the U.S., you represent represent a government agency, you can't buy anything with a Huawei brand on it. Uh, Over security concerns, the FBI, the CIA, the NSA have essentially said They're laden with malware. Don't buy them. We refuse. And so what China is saying is, you know, one, release her. But more importantly, they want to create a landscape where Huawei isn't the, you know, sort of persona non grata of the tech world anymore, because this could set a very dangerous precedent, not just for one Chinese technology company, but for all Chinese technology companies. China is terrified of Western governments essentially, you know, shutting them out of some very lucrative markets 5G is is uh, is at the top of that list but even things like handhelds uh, networking equipment uh, you know if uh, if if Americans and Australians and other countries won't buy them uh, that can significantly hurt the chinese economy the government is saying we've got to be aggressive in stopping that from happening and that's really they're, they're starting with uh, with you know this particular case, but it's not going to end there.
0: Will this help or will this hurt their progress moving forward? I mean, well, I, I, I yeah. can't see this helping China or Huawei's cause in any way.
2: Yeah, you know they they say things go down a little bit easier with a bit of honey on them, and obviously that message never got through to the Chinese government. Uh, they're they're taking a very hard line here, and they're basically saying we're not going to do this with finesse. We're going to do it with a hammer. Um, and so, at least in the short term, this is a very bad piece of news for uh, foreign governments that are trying to you know, trying to, to negotiate something with China. China has made it very clear they don't want to negotiate. Uh, but longer term, I see no alternative. Longer term, I think once uh, cooler heads prevail, I think uh, we will see diplomatic negotiations between China and Canada, and we will see some kind of compromise that allows uh, Canadian security concerns to be addressed but also allows Chinese companies like Huawei to have relatively fair access to markets like Canada's. So I can't speak for what happens in the U.S. or Australia or New Zealand, countries that have already decided to draw a line in the sand, uh, but Canada has a lot more to lose than the U.S. Uh, and so I think, uh, you know, a kind of middle, middle ground approach probably serves us a lot better than simply saying no.
0: Uh, if this reaction from China continues, could this kill the chances of Huawei being involved in 5G and their further expansion?
2: That, that's definitely the worst case scenario is that, you know, we, we, if, if this doesn't get resolved, we will not see Huawei um, bidding on contracts uh, from Canada's telecommunications industry to set up that next generation 5G network uh, we will not be able to walk into a store and buy a Huawei handset because this, this company is huge. It's the second largest manufacturer of handsets, handheld mobile devices in the world. Uh, and so, you know, th- you know, we don't really, we haven't heard a whole lot of them. They're relatively new to the Canadian market, but elsewhere, they're they a are giant. And so, you know, worst case scenario, we will not see any of that here. Um, you know, does that mean a whole lot to Canadian consumers? Probably not. Most of them don't really care as long as they get a good deal. Uh, But long-term, this is not good for our market. We need competition. We need uh, not just more hardware makers in our stores, but we also need more companies bidding on the hardware that runs the networks that those mobile devices uh, connect to. The reason being is we always complain about high wireless costs. Well, one of the reasons why is because the equipment on those cell towers is so expensive. If Huawei can drive those prices down, Ultimately, that flows through to us, and we may end up paying more if Huawei isn't part of the Canadian market.
0: Uh, we always hear lots of stories about what it's like to do or, or 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 negotiations and how they have to be balanced as you do business with a country like China. Are they as are they as sensitive to what it's like to do business in the free world as as the rest of the world is with China? Uh, clearly, this is. Uh, a mistake on their part, just simply, you know, from a, mm-hmm. from, from a public relations standpoint.
2: Oh, very much so. And uh, I think we've seen, this isn't the first time, <laughs> I think we all remember yeah. Tiananmen Square very well. Uh, the Chinese government has never been all that concerned with uh, how, you know, it plays in a public relations landscape. Um, and I think that's, that's on, on ample... But districts. we weren't talking about
0: world domination of a telecom company at that point. Things have changed. Correct.
2: Uh, they They certainly have, and you would think that China would would change its tone as well and recognize that you need to be more conciliatory and i'm thinking, yeah, this is a it's a miss on the on the the part of the chinese government and enough if if enough countries right now, there are three large ones that have said no, no to China uh, if enough countries draw a similar line in the sand, they will have to change their tune, so like right now. Uh, You know, it behooves countries like Canada to say, hey, you know, we, you know, we can't simply accept it at face value. We can't simply allow this to continue. Uh, Let's talk. Uh, And so if more countries do that, then, yeah, maybe we will see the Chinese government eventually back down, eventually put a little bit of honey in their messaging and eventually soften their stance. But right now, uh, they seem to be incredibly tone deaf uh, and long term. That will ultimately hurt them because we're already starting to see some electronics manufacturers say, maybe I should be hedging my bets by arranging a hardware manufacture, not just in China, but elsewhere. I've got to start mitigating risk. Long term, that's going to hurt China more than just this one case of a single Huawei executive.
0: A um, uh, Huawei executive said that it's, it calls on the governments to show that there is a security, route, uh, uh, security risk. Uh, you use the phrase "laden with malware." Is that not a, enough of a security risk? And is it up to everyone else to provide that? Isn't it up to Huawei to prove that they are secure, rather than the other way around?
2: Well, it certainly is. I mean, if you're going to sell products to anyone, it's up to you to market them in an appropriate manner, and you know, security is certainly part of that. Prove to me that your device is secure, That it isn't sending uh, my encrypted content, my encrypted messaging, everything that I do and, and share, back to the mothership, the, China, the Communist Party of China. Um, and so it is uh, incumbent upon Huawei to prove that it is worthy of our business in much the same way that it's incumbent upon Apple, which manufactures most of its, its devices uh, on a contract basis in China to prove to us. And I think that's where uh, we all have a bit of a wake-up call coming to us. Pretty much everything we use, the phone that's in my hand right now, uh, is made in China. Mm. And I think we've got to start asking some very hard questions. Can we really trust that all of these devices, not just Huawei, we're, we're singling them out now, but everything that comes out of China, do we have agreements in place to ensure that we are not being spied on? Right now, there's no answer to that, and that should frighten us all.
0: So here you're talking about other companies that are uh, manufacturing there, which is virtually everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, is, there, uh, is there obviously then a legitimate a legi- a legitimate risk with Huawei?
2: I would think so, because enough uh, intelligence agencies, enough security experts have weighed in over the last 12 to 18 months saying that they have irrefutable proof of uh, of malware being hardware being installed on the hardware from the factory so that when you crack it out of its box, you buy it, you bring it home and you open it up, that it already has something on it. There's enough strange things going on that we may want to trust them less than someone else. And I know a lot of people, uh, colleagues of mine, friends of mine, who when they replace their smartphones, they won't consider a Huawei, even if it is cheaper than the alternative, Simply because they are concerned about security. We live in an age when security is becoming, you know, a, a greater risk, a greater worry. We need to step up as well, and we need to start asking those questions. And if we don't get those answers, if Huawei doesn't ease our concerns, then we should just go ahead and buy something else. It applies on a, in a on an individual basis for, for a consumer. It applies to, as well as well if you're a telecommunications company buying self tower equipment. It also applies if you're a government.
0: Carmen, you used the word trust. Uh, I remember way back when, when, you know, BlackBerry was the order of the day. And and even as other devices came onto the market and they started, BlackBerry started to lose a bit of their luster, still many kept their Blackberries for security reasons. It was a trusted device. How important is trust in this industry?
2: Incredibly. Uh, we may not focus on it as consumers because we are so... We just want to get a really good deal and we want our phone to be cool and, and you know, we want to stand around at parties and show it off to our friends. Uh, but really, security is the issue of our time um, because anybody who's been hacked knows exactly how devastating that can be. Uh, and chances are, if you haven't been hacked today, uh, you know somebody who has been and it is going to touch you again over the next 12 months. So, you know, this is something that is it's, it's an important issue. It's going to become even more so. Um, And, you know, we think it's 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 one Chinese company, but really it's about our entire digital economy. You and I and all of our listeners need to do a better job of asking those questions. Is it secure before we buy something, bring it home and turn it on? We haven't up until now. We haven't given it the priority that it deserves. needs to change. So,
0: Carmi, where does this leave the 5G network? We've heard so much. We're all waiting for it. We're sitting on the edge of our seat. Life's going to change. Where does this leave all of that discussion?
2: Well, it's it's not going to slow down adoption in Canada because Huawei is only one of many potential suppliers to telecommunications companies like Bell and Rogers and TELUS and Shaw, who are all going to be building out their networks over the next couple of years and as they begin to offer service to us. So, you know, will it affect? Yeah, it might. With with fewer providers, if Huawei is out of the picture, it might drive prices for that equipment higher. We may pay more, but it isn't going to slow the process down. Um, I think what it what it will do, though, is it will cause companies like the telecoms to look at security a little bit more closely and recognize that not only can you say my network is the best and it's the fastest. But it's also the most secure because here's what we did to make sure that nobody's snooping on your traffic. I can tell you that if everything else is equal, if the prices is, is the same and the network speeds are the same, it's the telecommunications company that offers me the most secure network, I'm going to go with them. And I'm pretty sure I'm not alone.
0: Uh, in all of this uh, 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 rigmarole that started with a CFO uh, from Huawei being detained in Vancouver back in, in, in early December, mm-hmm. uh, why is... Why is China bullying or putting pressure on Canada and not the US? Where does this leave this discussion between China and the US?
2: We're almost a pawn in a much larger chess game. And you know, in this case, uh, I don't think they want to take on Donald Trump directly or the Trump administration directly. It's a lot easier to go after Canada, which essentially means China is fighting the US via proxy. And we're unfortunately stuck in the middle. Canada's biggest mistake here was in deciding to do the US dirty work for it. The US said, "Can you please arrest this executive when she passes through Vancouver International Airport?" Canada without doing any due diligence basically went ahead and did exactly that. Now we've got to pay the price for it, but let's make it clear. This is a China versus US ty- titanic battle. They're posturing and positioning for trade talks that have to, that will play over the next few months and years. And unfortunately, Canada, you know, made a bit of a boneheaded move and kind of got caught in the middle and we're going to have to pay the price for it over the next few months.
0: Uh, and lots are saying that that was we had no choice, though. That if you know you're following international law, I've even heard some say, "Well, gee whiz, if we had just lost the paperwork from Friday to Monday," <laughs> but I don't know.
2: Uh, it, is quite, it quite quite possible? But exactly. Yeah, no, you're right. you know, by law, we absolutely had to. But again, by yep. sort of di- diplomacy, not quite so sure.
0: Is this more proof for the United States in their in their argument? See, look at Huawei, China. You got we got to watch them. See, I, I mean, is this just plays right into all of of this
2: it sure does uh, unfortunately a lot of it is based on on rhetoric in other words where's the hard evidence that this is in fact happening to justify it in other words i'm hearing a lot of warnings from security agencies but i haven't actually seen the code that proves very beyond a reasonable doubt that you know huawei is definitely building this into their devices and so you know when i see that smoking gun i'll buy it but right now it's a whole lot of accusations with not, not a lot of validation behind it um, and and that applies to the CIA as much as it does the NSA, the FBI, and Canadian government agencies that are buying into this as well as part of the uh, as part of the Huawei investigation. We need to do a better job of backing up those allegations because if we have that smoking gun, it strengthens our negotiation position versus versus China and versus Huawei. Um,
0: is this is it possible, or is this a conspiracy theory that this is U.S. based? Technology, keep trying to keep China out.
2: Um, you know, I, I've heard that argument, but I I doubt it simply because uh, there is no U.S. based competitor that offers anything remotely remotely compared to what Huawei does. Hmm. Nobody is manufacturing these classes of equipment in the U.S. If they were to do so today, it would be incredibly expensive. It would take them years to get to that point anyway. So it's not like they're gaining competitive advantage by keeping Huawei out. There's more at play here. If there was actually a manufacturing base for tech in the U.S., I'd say, yeah, that's probably the case. But that isn't. Um, And it probably won't be anytime soon, despite what we hear from the Trump administration.
0: Uh, Many years ago, China was behind the times. People were poor. Uh, Obviously, things have changed there. Are they equal, advanced? How far ahead behind are they in this world domination of telecom?
2: Well, they've, they've, they've certainly gone from an agricultural to a technological economy in the space of a generation. That, that is, you know, unprecedented, uh, an unprecedented rate of change. Um, and having been there, it's like you can close your eyes and you feel like you're in the middle of, you know, New York uh, when you're standing in Shanghai. It's, it's that technologically driven. Granted... There are parts of the country where, that have not been touched by this revolution, uh, and the differences between haves and have-nots are pretty pronounced in China. But let's, you know, let, let, let's not couch this. China, as a technological superpower, uh, it's flexing its muscles in military, it's flexing its muscles in space and aviation technology, aerospace. They want to take on Boeing and Airbus. Um, they're, if they're not there yet, they're certainly charging very hard to get there, and they want to compete against American and European giants, on a level playing field, that they've gone from zero to this within the space of a generation is astounding, and we should we should keep our eyes up.
0: Where do you think this is going, Carmi, this whole Huawei thing and the CFO and such?
2: I think we're, we're seeing the, the initial moves in a much wider trade war that extends well beyond Canada. Um, it'll have global implications, and those implications will not be positive. Uh, and unfortunately, we will be a footnote in this.
0: Carmi been with his Tech Analyst. Carmi, as always, thank you for the time and insight. Much appreciated. We'll be watching this one.
2: Thanks so much, Scott. As it going?
0: You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Yesterday saw the final sentencing placed on Dellen Millard. He will not be eligible for parole until he's 102. That should do it. Uh, We're going to talk about that with Alex Pearson and a few other things, uh, including a third Canadian being detained in China. Alex Pearson is with us, host of On Point with Alex Pearson. You can hear it right here, weekday nights on CHML. Alex, how are you? Thanks for taking the time. Greatly appreciated.
3: Always, Scott. My pleasure.
0: First of all, uh, let's start with uh, the Tim Bosma ca- uh, case and specifically holding great significance to those in Hamilton. Therefore, mm-hmm. every time the name Dylan Lard is mentioned, ears perk up. Uh, there was lots of chatter after convicted of his father's murder, uh, whether he would get consecutive or consistent sentences. Uh, obviously, this law changed uh, a few years mm-hmm. ago. So the families don't have to put up with the agonizing situation that parole brings every 25 years now it'll be 75 before anyone even thinks about parole for this person uh your thoughts on how this all went down considering you were there for all
3: this trial couldn't find a better ending myself unless i could undo everything he did he deserves to be exactly where he is and for all those people who were saying well why bother doing another trial it's not going to change anything yeah. he's in jail now you know that people like the bosmas people like the babcocks and the remaining you know, Millard family no, no longer ever have to worry about, well, hopefully, they never have to worry, you know, about trying to continue fighting for justice. They can finally live in peace, I hope, and start to rebuild their lives.
0: And this was changed specifically in regard to consecutive life sentences because after 25 years you get to try for parole, whether you have a chance of getting out or not. Which uh, notably brings the victims' families out; they have to go through this. We just saw this with Paul Bernardo uh, yep. not too long ago. This law, although although Paul Bernardo has been declared a dangerous offender, for mm-hmm. still for some reason uh, they have to go through this because this law was not in place. So I guess this is uh, one of the great examples of this new law working
3: yeah this law does work when it works um and i think you know given i think a lot of people certainly this year scott we the one big kind of story that sticks out for me is this that our correction system no longer is about justice it seems to be a system that has moved very much to the rehabilitation and so i think a sentence like this will give a lot of those who are you know left behind in these very um awful cases, some peace of mind that justice actually means justice because otherwise you get sentences like twenty-five years to life and then everyone moves away from the case and they think it's done. And then you don't read the fine print to say, oh my God, he could be or she could be elevated to a a a, a, a better graded system if, you know, two years passes or three years passes or people don't realize that even though the sentencing takes place, what happens on the correction side doesn't always come out looking like corrections. And so a sentence like this means that Della Millard and his little buddy Mark Smitch, those two little losers, will sit and rot exactly where they should be. And the phone doesn't have to ring. Letters don't need to arrive. It allows these people to get on with their lives and try to put them back together. So I do um, favor this kind of justice. If, in fact, we're going to stick with the 25-year sentence you know, structure that we have in this country, at least make it 25 years that it's dicks that, you know, you can stack it if they've done other things, I'm all good with it.
0: You know, and it seemed bizarre. And I talked to uh, the lawyer for the French Mahafi families, yeah. Tim Danson, about this. And it's it's it seems odd. And he, and he prepared for uh, 25 years later when the yep. case was actually on. Right. And it just it seems odd that even though Paul Bernardo <laughs> was declared a dangerous offender, that the victim's family still have to jump through these hoops every every so many years.
3: Yeah, that, that's the thing. And because we don't hear about them generally, I mean, sure you hear about the Paul Bernardo headlines because it's such a massive case, yeah. but there are a lot of headlines that we don't hear about every day in this country where the victims of violent crime feel like they are literally once again being punched in the gut. And they don't have the support. They don't have the media kind of fighting on their behalf. They just sit there in silence saying, what the hell is wrong? You know, why can't we actually give justice in this country? And so, you know, I think now that the spotlight is on, you know, we've got Michael Rapidy sitting in a a medium security facility. You know, at least people are watching now. And I think I'd like to see one of the big election issues in the next elections is proper corrections. I want, and I think many Canadians, uh, Scott, want to move back to justice is justice. And, you know, when you've got a case like rehabilitatable cases, which are never going to be people like Della Millard, yeah. that's one thing. But if you've got a serious offender like a Terry McClintock, a Michael Rafferty, a Paul, they should never be given any breaks because they're not savable. I don't want to rehab them because they don't deserve it, frankly.
0: If you, And, you, you know, many were saying if you don't use the consecutive sentence rule here with someone yeah. like Della Millard, who would yeah. you reserve it for?
3: Exactly. I mean, literally, I'd like... I think there's probably one or two idiotic women out there who think he's just a gem. I know because, uh, you know, you've seen them hang around yeah. trying to get a, a good look at him. But there will always be those who kind of say, oh, no, I'm sure I could find the good in him and the root cause and bring it out. No, mm. you can't. And for the general public, and I've talked to victims right across this country. I mean, I spoke with the families of... You know, those who were killed in Alberta, I don't remember, I don't know if you remember the knifing of five kids in Alberta. You know, I spoke with one of the parents who lost their children in that. And, you know, he got out after two years. Certainly sure, went to a halfway house. But my God, they were devastated by it because they truly felt that they were on the outside looking in. And it was all about making sure that the accused, his future was taken care of. And I think we've got to move away from that. It's one thing to rehabilitate someone who might deserve a second chance, but there are many that simply don't deserve the second chance, and we have to get more of a balance when it comes to victims of these types of crimes. There has to be there has to be something in it for the people like the Bosmas. The onus should not always only be put on them.
0: Hmm. All right, can't let you go without asking you about what has happened in regards to Saint Mike's College. Mm-hmm. Another arrest today, uh, yeah. and so is this ongoing culture or isolated incident?
3: No, I, I get the distinct impression that it's it's like a new thing that's just happened in the last year or so. It, it sounds to me, well, it was, it was members of the football team. It sounds like they've contained it. That does not mean that there wouldn't have been isolated incidents throughout the years, because we've certainly heard from the alumni. But I think there are a few really big takeaways for me today. They've charged these young people. This is going to be a massive trial. It's almost unheard of. I'm trying to think of any other case. Um, that we've seen like this, uh, maybe the Rain of Vert case out in, in B.C., but that was a murder. I mean, where have we seen such a big case involving so many kids at such an early stage in their life, they're going to be all tried on some of the most serious charges we have in our criminal code? That's a big deal. So this story is this going to linger for a long time. But the really big takeaway for me today, Scott, was when the inspector, and this is a really big warning for parents out there, He's basically saying, you've got that tape, you're trying to get that tape, you've got a kid who's got that tape, we're warning you that if it gets up online, we're going to find you. The fact that kids are still sharing that video or even curious about it tells me that no conversations are happening at home. This is a conversation, like when I heard about this videotape, I called two people right away. I called my sister in Hamilton, who's got two kids kind of that age, and I called my sister-in-law, who's got four boys in sports schools of that age, and I said, if they get this video, make sure that you report it or get rid of it, and they had already had that conversation with their kids, because they were part of that, but clearly there are not conversations being had at home to say, look... What about the school? <laughs> well, I don't expect the school to parent kids. I'm not one of those parents. No. Standard. But that being said, People but that
0: being said, Alex, that being said, how, you know, and I played football and school sports for yeah. years yeah. and, you know, there was you know, nothing even close to this. I mean, I think the thing I even remember, one guy got half his eyebrow shaved. That was this the hazing. hazing. No, no, no.
3: This is beyond. This is, so, beyond so, this is so criminal. Exactly.
0: Effect. So yeah. how does it get from that to this? I mean, well, where's the school on this? This isn't just a parenting issue. This no, is a no, culture no. that allows this to happen.
3: Because a coach
0: knows a coach knows what his team's up to. Sure. He may not know this stuff, but he's got a good idea.
3: Of course, but there's two different issues here. There are the kids that were directly implicated in this, and thankfully, it was young one young boy who came forward and said I've seen something and I think it's wrong. And and really, he's kind of the the, the unspoken hero here. That's the conversation. Well, he himself. is to us around the school, well, sure. he's probably hated well not, yeah maybe maybe but the conversation i'm talking about is the pa- fact that there are still videotapes out there yeah, within yeah. the possession of children and what they don't realize or what they think they can get away with is passing and distributing that that is a crime yeah. that's possession and uh you know passing around child porn and parents can have this conversation easily at dinner because saint mike's is not a saint Mike's story it's not a toronto story this is a story for every kid to say hey look that case in Toronto, if you get that videotape, if you hear about it, you must tell us, you must report it, because that conversation has to be had. The other stuff I get, I get it, is a bigger conversation. Certainly the schools have to get involved. But this one with the passing around of videos and continuing to perpetuate this crime, the police were very, 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 very um, pointed on that today, saying, in essentially what they were saying today is, you're on notice. We're coming after you guys, and if you continue to pass it around and you haven't heard our warnings, you will be charged.
0: We remember uh, when this first started, the two in, involved in leading the school uh, kind of kept it to themselves. They were yeah. accused of not reporting it when they should have initially, uh, which is how it how it got online. How, how does so, you know, when, when they came out, they were pretty much denying this as opposed to trying to get any make any attempt to get ahead of the story. Yeah. How does St. Mike's recover from this?
3: I don't know. Look, I mean, the the teacher, the principal is not going to be charged. They made that clear today that no officials in the school are going to be charged. That does not, however, take off the uh, plate civil litigation. Uh, They still have liability issues. So there's still a lot of directions this particular case can go in, um, because I do uh, foresee a number of lawsuits probably coming forward. You know, there's been a lot of back and forth on what the school's responsibility was and what they should have done and what the media did. The bottom line is, whether you like the facts of it or not, when you come into possession of a possible crime happening and that of a sexual crime against a child, you are obligated by law, not just morals, but law to report that. And that gets lost in the mix here because a lot of people are saying, yeah, but the school did report it. They went to police. No, 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 they did not. It was because of a global news reporter that called the school and said, I understand there's a tape what do you know about it for three days that thing was played down like it was nothing and then the cops got involved really quickly and said that tape is a crime we've got to get it down and that's why they moved so fast because of the school i think trying to kind of make it all quietly go away tough lesson for st mike's to to learn they will i think they will survive it's a great school regardless it has a great reputation But they got to fix
0: this. They handle it the same way the Catholic Church handles these sorts of predicaments, and that's not the right way to do it.
3: A lot of schools do. It's not just St. Mike's. We we deal with schools all the time, and oh, just nothing's going on. Everything's good. You got to get ahead of the message. Write your own headline. Don't let the media write your headline. Be honest, be open, and just be forefront, you know?
0: All right, can't let you go without asking you about the third Canadian uh, detained yeah. in China. This all started, of course, with the CFO being uh, arrested in Vancouver back in December 1st. Is, are they going to continue to pluck Canadians out of China until we release this? Uh, the CFO?
3: I would not be going anywhere near China right now if I were a Canadian. This is the story of the decade. This is a huge story. We have not yet... Seen or heard we didn't Latin. seem to
0: take it that seriously at the beginning yeah. i couldn't believe this i mean there's people in vancouver that were that were protesting against this arrest of the cfo and it's saying you know don't follow the bully americans yeah. it's like are you kidding are you asking us to side with china instead of the united states here have we do we know no history here yeah,
3: yeah. no there's, there's there's no shortage of propaganda happening around this case mainly by the chinese themselves i mean I didn't know what Huawei was. I knew a little bit about the Five Eyes and the security concerns, but certainly not to what we have learned in the last two or three weeks. They're They're a lead
0: sponsor on Hockey
3: Night in Canada. They are, and they should not be. These are the things that need to change. We in Canada need to change our attitude about China. They are not our friend. We have been far too cozy. This prime minister is far too cozy, and not the only prime minister. We have been playing footsies with China, pretending that we can make them nice too. They're not nice people. They're not honest people. They will abduct and kidnap any Canadian they want to make their point. They are an enormous superpower eclipsing the United States. We do need them. But we also have to diversify our trade. We need other trade partners. Had we gotten that in India, we could probably say to China, you know, stuff it up your nose. We've got our own things that we can do. But Canada, and Justin Trudeau specifically, has a very tough job right now because he's going to have to make a decision. He's going to have to basically say, Huawei, you're gone. Our partners in the five eyes are telling us, mm-hmm. you've got a choice. You say goodbye to that company, or you're not with your allies, which is Australia, Great Britain, the United States, and uh, New Zealand. Did I say that? Mm-hmm. They, ha- they are terrified of these national security concerns. And Canada seems, for whatever reason, to be the last country that's kind of holding out hope that we can make friends with Huawei and China and it'll all be good, but the, they're a direct threat to our national security. So I think 2019 is going to be a world of pain. Given we need free trade agreements with China, given Canadians are being, you know, kidnapped, the Prime Minister being very careful about it. But I did listen to his year-end interview, and I'm watching one right now. He's not very direct on what he said. He's not even telling Canadians, you know, I would not go there. And, and they have to be, for diplomatic reasons, careful. But at the same time... He's not able to answer basic questions of what's our relationship moving forward? Are you going to tell Huawei to get out of uh, town? Because really that's what we need to do. Unfortunately, it's
0: just the reality we're facing. Well, he fence in, sits yep. on everything he's doing. Yep. Uh, but
3: this it, is a big one. <laughs> what, I, what I don't
0: understand about this, and again, I couldn't believe the Canadians who were who were denouncing the United States and praising China when this story first broke at the beginning of the month. Yep. I'm not sure how China or <laughs> Huawei sees that this will help them moving forward. Um, this is only in my view going to turn people against China and Huawei care. for the care. way well whether they care or not, it's gonna yeah. it's certainly going to concern how we do business with them.
3: Of course it should be that, but that's why we're in such trouble now because, we need to diversify our trade. We can't be reliant on people. Yeah, China has like been the China. golden
0: goose for very right. long.
3: I don't want them to be our chi- our golden goose. I don't want com- I don't want countries like Saudi Arabia being our golden goose. Let's diversify trade with countries that have our you know are like minded with us, and we can actually grow. India was a no brainer. Massive amounts of trade. That's who we would want to partner. So, I think twenty nineteen is going to be honestly, uh, Scott. I'm looking to twenty nineteen. And I'm very nervous about it because the economy is going to be a very big deal. I'm hearing the word recession way too much now from the economists. I think Canadians are going to be in for a rude awakening with the amount of personal debt that they've got, with interest rates going up, with these trade issues with China coming to a head. We're in trouble here, and I think we have to be very careful moving forward. But I really do think that people need to wake up and realize, China is not our friend. I mean, ask Canada Goose how they're feeling about China right now. They've yeah. lost what 25, 30 percent of their stock in the last week and a half. I mean, they're just—they're not a nice country. They don't play by the rules.
0: Do you think this is going to continue? They're just going to oh, continue yeah. to scoop Canadians off the street until we bend the law and send the CFO home?
3: Well, what happens if there is an ext- like extradition order? What well, this well this is, gonna feb- yeah. this is going to oh, go on till we'll feb. This is going to go on from February
0: more. March or so. Oh, so no.
3: I think years. No, no, we're talking. Every expert I've talked to has said at least at least a couple of years. So this
0: is three Canadians in as many yeah. weeks. So what happens by March or April?
3: Don't know. I mean, we've got a prime minister and Christopher Freeland who are going to have to do some very very serious negotiating behind the scenes of this thing, and I don't know what what they're going to say. You know, they're basically going to have to tell China, yeah, we're getting rid of Huawei, or they're going to have to tell the United States, we're not playing. Like, we're stuck in the middle here, yeah. but we kind of put ourselves here. We've known for a long time that Huawei was a big national security risk. For whatever reason, our government's allowed them to come in. We've given the Chinese a huge amount of access to our country, and now it's come back to bite us.
0: Alex Pearson's been with us, host of On Point with Alex Pearson. You can hear tonight right here on CHML and, of course, Chorus uh, stations across Ontario. Alex, as always, thank you for the time. Much appreciated. Merry Christmas. And back at you, girl. This is the Scott Thompson Podcast, available on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts or wherever you get yours. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so you don't miss a thing. I'm Scott Thompson, and thanks for listening.